Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, I'm Ellie Perlman with a special edition of Ready to Scale for you today. The first Tuesday of each month, I will be releasing an advanced training session on information like raising capital, creating an effective acquisition process, and more on all things related to being a multifamily syndicator. These recordings are from webinars that I hosted, so you can also jump on my YouTube channel called Ready to Scale Multifamily Investing with Ellie Perlman and watch along if you prefer. In this session, you will learn valuable information to help give you a competitive edge and keep your business thriving. Now let's get started. Hi everyone, this is Ellie Perlman and welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. Today I'm gonna talk about an interesting topic as part of our special edition, which is the state of the market. So I'm a multifamily investor and I'm purchasing multifamily properties in Texas, Florida, and Georgia, and I do it with other investors. So basically, my company, Blue Lake, is searching for the deals, negotiating with the sellers, we're signing on the loan, and we're managing the asset for our investors. And so I wanted to share with you what I see in the U.S. market right now, and what is the state of the market from our point of view. So the first thing that I want to mention is that I'm recording it. Today is May 6th, so we're a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and things are changing almost on a weekly basis. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is whether it's a seller's or a buyer's market. Usually when there's an economic crisis, and it's pretty clear that we're unfortunately experiencing one right now, usually in an economic crisis, the market shifts from a seller's market to a buyer's market. And it's pretty easy to understand why, because now you have a lot more distressed properties. Cash is not as available in the market, generally speaking. And that basically creates more opportunities for buyers to basically step in and purchase something at a discount. Well, that's exactly what happened in 2008. And that was the expectation of many investors who basically said, listen, we have been experiencing about seven to 10 years of really great growth in the market. And we know it's going to stop. It's going to end at some point. So we're going to get ready for the next recession, the next crisis. And then we're going to be ready with cash. We're going to buy whatever we can at a discount. And the expectation was once we started to understand what's happening with COVID, we expected to start seeing deals, really good deals at high discount pretty early. And that's not what's happening. So we're basically not in a seller's market nor buyer's market. It's kind of the market is a little bit frozen at this point. And the reason is that there's a gap between 
buyer's expectations and seller's expectations. So in March, we all heard about how COVID is going to change things. April was the first tough month, and now we're in the second month of May and second month of collections. And so for the most part, on one hand, from seller's point of view, collections are pretty much similar to pre-COVID in many cases, not all of them. So according to NMHC survey, and NMHC is a pretty, you know, solid organization that basically is providing a lot of good information about multifamily, between 93, 95% collections basically happened during April. So really as investors, a lot of investors expected collections of rents to drop significantly, which would provide an opportunity to buy an asset at a lower price than market price. But when many, many properties can collect 93 to 95% of collections, then you don't really have that opportunity here. And there's no incentive for the sellers to buy the property at a discount. That's one reason. And obviously, you know, today's May 6th, as I mentioned, and we need, you know, probably in about 10 days from now, we'll, we'll know how good or bad May collections, you know, are. The second option is that unlike 2008, we actually have as investors, as owners of multifamily properties, we have more opportunities and more options to manage debt issues. So right now, if you have properties that, you know, it's hard for you to pay the debt because a lot of maybe you're not part of the 93 to 95% rent collections, then you have the option to basically use forbearance and not pay your mortgage right now for about three months to delay those payments. And basically that will give a lot of investors that do struggle with paying the bills that will give them at least 90 days of kind of peace of mind when they know that they don't have to pay the mortgage, which is a huge portion of the expenses. So that basically means that at least for 90 days, we can't really find a lot of deals that are heavily, heavily discounted. Now, it doesn't mean we can't find deals, but a lot of the deals that we thought we would see where we can buy a property for 70, 80, 60 cents on the dollar, it's not happening because of that. And so because sellers are still, you know, holding on to the properties, they can pay their bills, tenants are paying, they don't have to pay the mortgage for the next 90 days, then they're not really incentivized to sell. And those who are selling right now are usually those who absolutely have to sell. So if their loan is due or one of the partners died and they have to sell or they have another business and they need the proceeds from the property to save the other business, then these are kind of the common cases where I do see sellers still moving on with their sales. So for the most part, what we still see is, so during the month of April, most, I would say about 90% of the transactions have been frozen. So sellers said, okay, we're going to hit the pause button and not continue selling any properties. And Right now during May, we see some of them resume activity and we see that some deals are back in the market, but very, very little compared to, you know, the number that we, we used to see three months, four months and a year ago. 
And so that's kind of where we are, where there's still, it's not a seller's market. It's not a buyer's market. It's kind of in between. And my gut feeling tells me that probably during June, we're going to see as more states are going to be, you know, back to normal and open to business, we're going to see many more deals in the market. So that's what we see as syndicators of multifamily properties when it comes to sellers and buyers kind of behavior in the market. The other thing I wanted to discuss is debt. So what makes deals also very difficult to basically complete these days is that the debt scene has really changed. So prior to COVID, usually the loan to value that we could find on a stabilized value add, very simple and solid deal was around 70 to 75%. And now we're talking about 60 to 65% which means that the lenders, they're a little bit scared to lend. And so what they do is that they basically lower the percentage of loan they're willing to extend compared to the purchase price, which means that the returns are going to be lower because you need to put more equity in the deal. Another change on the debt side is basically you have new requirements. So we, for instance, there's a new requirement to, when you close the deal, to have to put in an escrow at least 12 months of debt payments. And that means that you need to bring even more capital. And so, and there are other other changes and other requirements, but these are the main ones. And that makes the deals that probably, you know, would have worked Two months ago, three months ago, right now, instead of 7% cash on cash, with those changes to debt, it can drop to 5% cash on cash, for instance. So the debt scene has changed. And it's really unfortunate because basically that's how the lenders are reacting to this very, very quickly changing environment. And I believe that they will be back to normal several months from now. They're still waiting to see which one of their existing loans are going to default and they have forbearances. And so they're trying to figure things out, but the debt scene that has changed is definitely playing a critical part in making sure in the basically making sure that the deals are making sense. And so, but that's another big change that we've seen happening in the market. The third thing I wanted to discuss about is occupancy. So obviously When people cannot pay, then usually the owner will evict them. Right now, it's a little bit different because many owners cannot evict. Some owners can evict. It really depends on two things. One is the state. What is the state regulations when it comes to evictions? Because some states like California basically issue an order that you cannot evict tenants. When I'm not investing in California, but I know that it kind of changes from one state to another. Another factor that affects the ability to evict without even getting into the whole moral discussion on whether it's a good thing to do, it's a moral thing to evict people who have lost their jobs. But the second part is basically the lender. So if you took a Fannie loan, then based on the latest regulations, the CARES Act, you basically cannot evict for six months. doesn't matter what state you are. And it doesn't matter if somebody lost their job or they're just decided that they just don't want to keep paying rents for any reason. And I think I read the legislation. I think there's 
There's one word there that I think was accidentally placed there in the paper, and that's why it created this confusion. I don't think it was intentional to create it this way, but I think it's absolutely crazy that you cannot evict someone who still has a job and maybe even got a promotion or got a new job and got a higher salary. But if they decide that they didn't want to pay, then you still cannot evict them. Something here does not make sense. But this is just my opinion. So all of that is to say that we do see occupancy around the same kind of same percentage of occupancy, same ratio as before COVID. Some properties, when people can't pay anymore and they leave, some of them don't know that they cannot be evicted. But occupancy is pretty much the same. Usually tenants don't like to move during a global pandemic. I wouldn't say usually because it hasn't happened before in the history, at least the history that I can remember, maybe the Spanish flu, but that was, you know, a long time ago. But usually when it comes to a crisis, people don't like to move around. And especially when it comes to a pandemic, you know, people are afraid. They don't want to leave and go to a new apartment. You know, they're fearing that they'll catch the virus if they move to a new place. And so that's something that keeps people in one place. However, during May, we've actually seen, that was true to April, but during May, we've actually seen a little bit more of a movement towards resuming new apartments and new searches. And we have more and more tenants every week now that are you know inquiring about a new place. So April was kind of completely down when it comes to new leases. And now we're slowly resuming activity. And we actually, in our properties, we had last week in one property in Atlanta, we had four new leases. So people are kind of coming out of their, you know, shells and and trying and resuming new activity and resuming the search for new apartments. And of course, it depends on the state. So state of Georgia reopened earlier. So you see people are starting to get back to normal and starting to look for new apartments. So we talked about whether it's a seller's buyer's market. We talked about the debt and occupancy. Now, I want to talk about renovations. Usually across the board with all the, the syndicators and the sponsors that I've spoken with, we all have the same kind of mindset, which is it doesn't make sense to keep renovating units and try and push rents 10, 20% like we've done before COVID. And I think it absolutely makes sense to adjust our strategy because right now the focus is to make sure that we collect enough rents and that people are not going to leave the property right now because it's harder to replace them with new tenants. And so the focus has shifted to maintain current income and not necessarily increase it. I would say there are two caveats for that statement. One is that there is still an opportunity to increase income like we have done when you are pretty aggressive on cutting costs. And that's what we've done. For instance, you're looking around and you're saying, okay, all the other CapEx jobs or maintenance are on pause right now. Only what's necessary is moving forward. And so we're finding ways to cut costs so we can actually increase income. The second caveat is we don't do renovations as we used to before COVID, but we still keep the value add in place only it's modified. And I'll explain. So before COVID, usually if someone, when we bought a property, let's say out of 100 units, you had nine that were available. Then we started fixing all those nine vacant units and we renovated them, usually about three to $7,000 per unit. 
And then we put them back in the market after two weeks. It takes us 10 to 14 days to complete renovation. And then push rents between 10 and 20% and lease those units. Now, after we're done taking care of the vacant units, once someone either renews their lease or they say, you know, our leaser is coming to an end. I want to move. I bought a house, for instance. They leave the apartment. The next day, our team comes in, renovates the unit, and then we put it back in the market after about 10 to 14 days. So we would go unit by unit as they turn, as a tenant leaves that unit. Now, we're not doing it anymore because of the reasons that I've explained earlier. But what we do is that when someone comes to us, we show them the model unit, which is obviously renovated. And we say, hey, we don't have renovated units anymore. We have what we call classic units. And this is the price. If you want us to renovate the unit to the standards of the model unit that we just send you the video for, then that's the new price. And you choose and tell us which way you want to go. And believe it or not, some tenants are still willing to pay the higher price. So you're absolutely 100% going to miss opportunity to increase your profitability, to increase your bottom line if you're not going to ask. If you're just going to decide, pause on renovation, we're not going to do anything, you might lose some opportunities. Not everyone is impacted financially. Not everyone cannot pay for a renovated unit. You just need to ask. And that's what we're doing. It's a very simple, very basic concept. We're asking, do you want a renovated unit? That's how much it's going to cost you. Or if you want, you know, the classic unit, it's still in a great shape. It's clean. It's painted, but it's not renovated. It's going to cost you, you know, a little bit less. And we let our tenants choose. And just last week, we were able to lease one of our apartments to someone who wanted to wait for 10 days and live in a renovated unit. So we were able to implement it. So just that's kind of what I see in the market when it comes to renovation. Just keep in mind that even though it's not as popular of a strategy as it was before, we're definitely implementing it, but we're making sure that we have the demand for it before we actually put in the money. And I believe that within 12 months, maybe 18 months, we'll be able to go back and renovate as we did before COVID. The other thing I want to discuss, and that's the last thing, it's the most interesting part, in my opinion, is collections. And everyone was extremely nervous about what, you know, collections are going to be. And I have to say that I was a little bit concerned about how the media used to portray the situation. And they said that 33% of tenants are not going to pay. And they really put a very, very dark picture out there. And I don't think it's doing anybody any good because other renters who can pay are reading those articles and they think it's legitimate and it's okay not to pay, even if they can pay. And I think the media is doing it to get attention. I don't think they mean well. And I think it's very, very dangerous to put out these, you know, projections in that way. And the truth was that the average across the board in the U.S. for multifamily properties was 93 to 95%. Very, very, very different than 75%. So unless the media really conducted a survey of thousands and you know tens of thousands of people 
and took all the right tools and the measurements of looking into it from a statistical point of view, then how can you responsibly say that a third of the renters are not going to pay their rent? It's not what happened. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in May, but it was definitely not true for April. I know that some of my friends that are in the industry have collected around 90%, some 95%. Personally, we've collected about 99%. And we were very, very proactive. And in one of my earlier episodes and special episodes, basically, I've laid out our plan on what we were going to implement in order to collect the highest amount of dollars that we can in April. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk about what actually worked and what didn't when it comes to May collections, because everyone now is, they understood that April was okay. Now, a little bit nervous about May. And I think that would be interesting. I would release it during mid-May and I'm going to talk about this is what we've implemented and what we thought would work. And this is what actually worked Because one month might be an outlier. You know, April was a very good month, but May may not be. So today is May 6th. We're still collecting rents. So we're still collecting higher rents than we did last month around the 6th of the month. But again, it's still very, very early to open the champagne bottle. And we just need to wait and see what's going to happen. So I'm going to share with you next week what actually worked and what didn't work. But generally speaking, collections, there are down across the board, 99% or 95% is not 100, obviously, but it's still not as bad, especially not as bad as the media portrayed. So I think for me, the bottom line is that this is a very obviously unprecedented you know, time and it's a very, very different, it's a very challenging time for everyone. And I think it's going to be interesting to see as states are reopening, how that's going to impact tenants, landlords, and the deals and lenders. And I'm going to keep updating you and drop, you know, random episodes and record videos like this one to share with you what I see, to share with you what worked and what didn't work. I mean, hopefully that would, you know, I will bring some value to some of you. And if you have any questions about it, if I can help to anyone please let me know. You can email me. My email address is ellie at bluelake-capital.com. I hope you're still safe and healthy and I hope you and your family are doing well and I'll catch you in the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.